Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I don't know about you, but I love a good story, uh, whether it's joyful or sad, wholesome or heartbreaking. There's something about a good story that can grip your attention and change your heart. The very best stories, I think, are the ones that are real when we hear about something from someone who's experienced it. On Tuesday, I was listening to Radio uh, 5 Live, and they had a segment about people who'd lost their partners. And it was mostly men talking about being widows and losing their wives and losing the people that they had lived their life with. And those deeply personal accounts of real people, real loves, real everyday moments, had me absolutely weeping in the car. Uh, It was a bit uncomfortable because I was outside Halfords at the time, waiting for someone to come and change the oil. And it's not really the place you want to be weeping, but there was something about these stories of real people and real life change that affected me, and I just couldn't stop. So we like to hear stories from people who have experienced them. And the news often uses this to their advantage. Um, They love to give us first-hand accounts of news stories, no matter how unnecessary. I don't know if you've ever watched the news and there's been a crime or something, and they've kind of found someone who was up the street to talk about the crime. And it's like, oh, I got to the crime five minutes late, and people were kind of outraged. And that is their witness testimony. Um, Often when there's an election, reporters are dispatched to kind of a random small town somewhere to ask random people who are doing their shopping what they think about foreign policy and healthcare and all of these different things. But the most ridiculous example is when there's an extreme weather event because no news channel can resist sending their most junior reporter right into the middle of a storm. They're standing in some flood water. There's a quick tornado behind them, and you can see it coming towards them. And then inevitably, the reporter gets swept away or falls over, and they have to cut back to the studio. And um, I was going to show us a video, but it's not working. Um, But in this video, it's really simple. Um, A young female reporter has been sent to a hurricane and has been told to go stand outside in the street and tell people how bad the weather is. And inevitably, she can't even stand still. Like, you just see the wire trailing away as she's pushed down the street. And as much as it was awful for that poor reporter to be sent out there, it did have the desired effect. Everyone watching that report now knows just how stupid and ridiculous it would be to go outside and be like that reporter. The mission has been accomplished Most of us would probably agree that it's easier to believe in something when we can see it and when we know about it. For the last 10 weeks, we've been in Matthew's Gospel. And Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples who lived, travelled, worked, ministered with Jesus for three years. He lived with him 24-7. And Matthew's Gospel is the incredible good news of the life and ministry of Jesus as Matthew witnessed it. Tangible and real. An eyewitness account. And as we've gone through this series, we've titled it 10 Life-Changing Encounters with Jesus, looking at individuals and groups who met Jesus and had their lives forever changed. Tim began the series by telling us the story of the original disciples first meeting Jesus, leaving their livelihoods as fishermen, shepherds, to follow him, transforming the whole course of where they would go next. And Rosie last week looked at the centurion who came to believe in Jesus as he put him upon the cross to die. We've heard and experienced stories of healing, redemption, the dead being raised to life. 
And this week, we finish the series by exploring two women, both named Mary, who witnessed the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Before I read the text, which is Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10, for those of you who have paper Bibles, I just want to set out where this scripture fits into our timeline. I've mentioned that Matthew traveled with Jesus for three years, and just five days earlier, he had been with Jesus as he enters Jerusalem. Jesus enters the city in relative triumph. He's riding a donkey. There's a bit of a parade. People are swarming around to see Jesus. And yet everything had changed so quickly. The disciples had eaten together for the last time. Jesus had been arrested. He had been put upon the cross and he had been killed. The same disciples that had followed him so closely had denied him. They're now fugitives. They can't show their face in public. And it seems like there's no hope. Jesus has died. But our scripture today says, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Do not be afraid, he said. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead just as he said he would. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. As they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. All the other disciples are in hiding. So it falls to these two women, two women who had travelled with Jesus, been with Jesus, just like the other disciples, to go to the tomb. These two women, both named Mary, um, in other accounts it says that they're carrying spices and perfumes. That's something you would do when someone had died, to anoint their body, to honour them, um, to basically say this was an important person. You pour your most expensive perfume on their body. And they believed that they were going to honour someone who was dead, The darkest thing had happened. And when things are darkest, the Bible teaches us time and time and time again that that's when God breaks in. The two Marys in this story experience the true power of Jesus, the power of the good news to change lives. And I think this story and Christ's resurrection allow us to experience the power of Jesus in four ways. So that's how we're going to structure the rest of this talk. The first way is that Jesus has power over physical creation. We see that an angel was commanded to move this huge rock. And when we talk about the stone that buried the tomb, this stone would have been absolutely massive because it had to block a physical hole in what was effectively a bit of a cave. And it would have had to block the smells of a decomposing body. And also the Jewish leaders at the time wanted to make sure that Jesus remained in his tomb. They were very worried about what people were saying and who he was. So they put a huge rock there and put guards around the rock to ensure that it could not be moved. These two women, these two ordinary people would have had no chance of moving that rock themselves. 
and yet an angel comes. And it's a very light little bit, actually. The angel comes, he rolls away the stone, and then he sits down on it. The ultimate kind of indignity to this massive stone is that it's become a footstool instead of guarding a tomb. We see that in this that Jesus has authority over all creation. The Bible tells us at a different point that all things are created through Christ and for Christ. The question then kind of becomes, why did he have to move the stone? In John's Gospel, it says that Jesus could pass through locked doors. He had no need to move the stone. In fact, we don't even see Jesus in the tomb. When the stone is moved, it's the angel that's there. In the fact that the stone was moved was not for Jesus' benefit, but for ours. We needed the stone to be moved. The stone was moved for the grieving, for the two Marys. Uncertain and sure that they were going to see a dead body, they saw an empty tomb and the power of God through this angel moving this stone. Sad and uncertain, they witnessed a miracle. They witnessed a resurrection. That stone was the only thing that was in the way of them seeing that. So Jesus moved it. The stone being moved is for us as well, for those of us who are unclean, who feel far from God, who feel like there is separation from God. Mary Magdalene, one of the two Marys that comes to visit Jesus' tomb, didn't have the greatest reputation before she met Jesus. The Bible tells us that she was possessed by seven demons. No one wanted to know her. She was outcast and ostracised from society. And now she's one of the very first people to witness the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus wanted to communicate to her his power over creation, his power over sin that she was loved and accepted, that the stone was moved for those who were unclean. Unclean people can see that they have now been accepted because of what God has done. We're no longer separated. In another part of the Bible, when Jesus dies, it says that the veil in the temple was torn. And the veil in the temple was all about separating the most holy place where God dwelt from his people, the ordinary people who were too unholy to go into that place. And only the high priest could enter. And even then, they'd have a rope tied around their leg just in case they fainted or died so they could be pulled out. And the stone being rolled away, the veil being torn, is a physical symbol of the separation between us and God disappearing. And the stone was moved so the sceptical could be enlightened. In another gospel, we hear that Peter and John didn't believe what these women had to say when they were told uh, that Jesus had gone. Uh, very classic Peter and John, they needed to see it for themselves. And they came and they witnessed it. And maybe you're a skeptic, uh, you're wondering if Jesus died, you're wondering if Jesus rose, you're wondering if it matters at all. And you can't go and see that stone for yourself. You might even be kind of positing the traditional questions that the Romans wished to spread at the time, that maybe the disciples moved the stone themselves, maybe uh, they stole the body, which makes the guards that the Romans posted there a bit useless. Um, But, you know, an old quote, often attributed to Mark Twain or Churchill, um, but actually way older than both of them, says that a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. It took the 12 disciples dying for what they believed to spread the gospel. They stood up to those lies when they were told, if you recant, if you tell us you're lying, you can live. Each of them died for that truth, that they had witnessed and seen the resurrected Jesus, the power of God to transform lives. 
And Proverbs provides a much better quote about truth. Truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. The stone was moved for sceptical people so that they could witness the power of God over creation. The sceptical could be convinced. And that's good news for us today. Our second point is that Jesus has power over death. Before he died, Jesus said that he would rise. He predicted that on the third day, he would come back to life. And he did. All of us will die. Um, Bit of a depressing message, but we don't know when, where, how. Um, But it is inevitable. Um, Another old quote, the only things inevitable are death and taxes. Um, And we know they're going to happen, and we know we have to face them. The good news from this passage is that one of those things, death, has been defeated. He is risen. An angel is physically there declaring his victory. And in verse 10, we see Jesus meet the two Marys and speak to them. They are the very first people to witness the resurrection. A prophecy made back in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah is fulfilled. It says, He will destroy death forever. The Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. The author of Corinthians asked rhetorically, where, O death, is your victory? Where is your sting? Because Jesus had taken the sting of death away at that tomb. Death becomes no longer the end. This encounter revealed that death is, in fact, the dawn at the end of a long night here on earth. Without sharing too much, let me tell you about a night in early October. I was feeling really rough. It wasn't a great time. I was having a bit of man flu, and I was way overreacting to it all. Um, But I'd been struggling to sleep for days and was up and down to the bathroom. And on that day, we had adopted our new dog, Cooper, who is lovely. He's a seven-year-old Siberian husky. But it was a rough night. He was howling and screaming and barking, and he just wasn't settled. So this night that already felt quite difficult became harrowing. The minutes felt like hours, and it just went on and on and on. And it felt like the morning would never come. But it did. When you have Jesus, you're waiting for the dawn to come, but knowing that it will. No matter what happens here in life, you can look forward to the dawn coming. There is only eternity to look forward to. That's really good news. That's amazing news. Because Jesus has power over death. And we can look to him knowing that he has already defeated it. And thirdly, we see that Jesus has the power to lead. Verse 7 says, And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. He is not just alive, but he's leading the way. And that matters to us. A lot of us believe the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, but frankly still live life as if he's dead in the grave. Maybe you've believed in Jesus for a long time, but it hasn't affected your heart. It hasn't affected the way you live. Well, here's the truth. He's going ahead of you. It's good news. In every situation you face, in every doubt you fear, in every relationship you have, Jesus is ahead of you. Maybe you're wondering what to do after uni, or you're figuring out one of your jobs, you've started something new and you just don't quite know how to do it. Or maybe you're in a relationship that is difficult and heartbreaking. Jesus is going ahead of you. Maybe you faced a real tragedy, a death, a bereavement, a loss of a relationship. Jesus is going ahead of you. He is the good shepherd 
and he has the power to lead. When a politician is campaigning, they try and do two things. Um, Often the easiest option for them is to make the other politician seem as bad as possible. So you're not voting for them, you're voting against the other one. And then the second thing they try and convince us is that voting for them is the easy option. If we vote for them, our life will be made easier. And vote for me to solve your problems. We all know that that's a lie, but we kind of go to the voting box and we vote for one of them anyway, knowing that it won't quite happen the way they say it will, but because easy is an attractive offer. Well, Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light in Matthew 11.30, but he also tells us that his plan has a steep joining fee. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross to follow me. Take up your cross or carry some burdens would be the very, possibly the worst campaign slogan in all of history. No one would go for it. But Jesus isn't playing to win an election. He's playing the long game. He's playing to bring us into eternity of new life so that we can experience his victory over death. The reward is great, even if the journey is tough. And the story reminds us that he is worth it. The two Marys, having come into a place of encounter with Jesus, are convinced. When the angel tells them to go quickly, they run, it says. They go so quickly, knowing that not only are they going towards Jesus, but they get to tell other people this good news. Jesus offers us an eternity full of joy with him, not in exchange for a certain percentage of our hearts. He wants more than that. He wants our whole hearts, souls, minds, and strengths. And in return, he's going to lead us on that journey. Just after the story of the encounter with the two Marys in verse 18, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. It carries on, teach these new disciples to obey all of the commands I have given and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is making us a promise to lead his disciples, his people, those of us here who believe in him forever because Jesus has the power to lead. My final point is that Jesus has power to give. The same power that raised Jesus from the uh, raised Jesus to life that emptied that tomb is given to you. Paul, in his letter to Ephesians, puts it like this: "I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe in Him. This is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms." Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but in the world to come. For God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him head over all things for the benefit of, oh, I lost my voice there, for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things with himself. That passage has so many terms that demonstrate the power of Jesus. It uses the word incredible. It uses the word mighty. It uses the word honour to represent where he is. He's above all rulers and authority. And yet it keeps coming down to the fact that the incredible greatness of God's power is for us who believe in him. 
Christ is head of the church, us here today, our community, our family, our brothers and sisters. There seem to be barely enough words in this passage to describe how great God's power is. Paul always, when he's talking about power, brings it back to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the ultimate sign of power, the defeating of death. Sometimes we talk about power in kind of a bit like those reporters, the power of a storm, uh, the power of light, um, all good things, all things that do represent the power of God. But the ultimate power was witnessed in the empty tomb. And this power is available to us. The good news is that it's power to experience. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes um, you have a day that just goes right. Uh, Maybe you've got a test and you open the test and you just know all the answers and it doesn't quite make sense. Or if you're into sports, you have one of those games where you're just hitting every shot and it's perfect. And you get to the end of the day and you're like, I'm quite good at this, but I don't understand how that happened. Well, that's nothing in comparison to the power of God. The power of God to make all things holy and perfect because of who he is and because of what he has done the power to transform our hearts and our lives. And that's the kind of power that Paul is talking about in this Ephesian scripture. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in you through the Holy Spirit when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And maybe you've got some bad habits, sins that are overwhelming you. Maybe some things have crept into the background of your life that you're not happy with. You want to break those, you know that those are wrong. Well, the power that's on offer the power that Mary and, Mar- Mary and Mary witnessed is available to you. I don't know about you, but maybe you'd like to be more loving in your relationships, more patient, more kind. Putting your trust in Jesus makes that possible. And maybe you feel like you do have Jesus, but you don't feel powerful. You don't feel transformed. Jesus tells us that his power is made perfect in weakness. Why is Jesus' power made perfect in weakness? because Jesus was made weak so that his power could be revealed. He gave up his power on a cross so that his power would be seen and known and life-changing. And if you're feeling weak, then that's exactly the kind of position that Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. The band are going to come back up, um, and while they do, it'd be really great if we could all stand. Not because there's anything particularly holy about standing, but just because we're about to sing, and standing is a position of openness. Right at the beginning, I mentioned that when things are darkest, God breaks in. And the truth is, you just need to receive it. It's quite simple. It's as simple as A, B, C. A, admitting that you've got things wrong. You're a sinner. You've rebelled against God. B, believing that he died on the cross to take away your sin and rose from the grave to bring you new life. And see, confessing that Jesus is your king. It's simple. It's all it takes is to come before Jesus in humility. That's all it takes to receive the great power that raised Jesus from the grave. The same power that overwhelmed the two Marys. And the power that they got to live with and serve with for three years of their life. You can have new life today, new power today. Just need to put your trust in Jesus.